Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. In mid March 2020, like so many other airlines, Emirates effectively shut down its operations in Ireland. Travel restrictions dictated it. Last year, it restarted a single flight from Dublin to Dubai, and today it restarts its second daily service from Ireland to the Global Emirates network, adding up to 700 passengers a day. But with the world headed for a slowdown, the return of the second flight might not be as smooth as hoped. Joining me now live in the studio is Enda Cornell, the head of Emirates Ireland. Good morning, Enda. Good morning, Joe. Is the restarting of the second plane out of Dublin a mark of consumer confidence or is are there other reasons? No, it's, it's a mark of consumer confidence. The advanced bookings we're seeing now from today until, say, the end of the year are extremely high. They're actually at pre-pandemic levels. Wow. I mean, don't forget, we had hoped to bring this flight back on the 1st of July, mm. but issues with our providers at Dublin Airport meant we needed more certainty that everything would run as smoothly as it should be. So today is, is, is our day. But like today is a momentous day for us. It brings us back to where we were pre-pandemic connects um, Irish customers with 130 destinations over Dubai, friends and family being able to travel again to Australia, New Zealand. Um, Inbound tourism will get a a big bounce in this as well. Our cargo division has now a second flight, so 25 further tonnes of cargo. So it's very much... In a way, closing the chapter on COVID for us, we're now back to where we were. And if I go back to pre-pandemic... I was actually pushing for a third flight. Mm. So that comes back onto our agenda to drive the business forward. But certainly the advanced bookings going up to the end of the year, very strong. What's happening is that the lead time for bookings is tighter. So we've very little visibility beyond, say, February, whereas pre-pandemic... Does that mean there's impulsive booking when people say, do you know what, I'm going to go and do that flight now? Absolutely. And it makes planning quite tricky because you haven't got the sort of visibility. Pre-pandemic, we would know 90 days out what was happening, 120 days out, for example, on Australia. Mm. That's coming in now to 60 days. Oh, right. So people are making decisions. And is that a nightmare for you in terms of staffing? And also, did you did you kind of pause some of your staffing that you had for the second service uh, and uh, ramping them back up? Absolutely. I mean, went, we went through a full redundancy program um, and we had to, you know, say goodbye to colleagues. We've had to rehire people now for the second service. Have you rehired some of the same people? Uh, no, we haven't. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have a great team now in place. But certainly at the airport, we, we needed more people for the extra flight. And in fact, we're looking for cabin crew worldwide. We've actually two cabin crew days coming up on the 2nd of September uh, on the Rad- in the Radisson Blue in Dublin and on the 4th of September in the Maldron in Galway because we're recruiting actively for cabin crew, which is one of the pain points all airlines have at the moment. That's interesting that you're saying it's a pain point. You're, you're struggling, maybe I'm using the wrong word, struggling to hire these people. I think in common with every Every airline, every aviation provider wor- worldwide, we're all scrabbling to keep up with the demand, which has mm-hmm. bounced back far quicker than, yeah. than we ever had. I mean, certainly last year, we were recruiting enough cabin crew for probably three aircraft a month oh. and building the system back up. So at the moment, we're, op- we're operating 74% of our pre-pandemic capacity worldwide. We're going to get to 80% by the end of the year. Now, so it, not completely back just yet. So when, you, when, you're, when you're in Galway, when you're in the Radisson Blue for these hiring sessions, does it take weeks to train these cabin crew? 
It really depends. If someone's coming in fresh, who's maybe never been a cabin crew before, right. they might need a degree more training. If someone's more experienced, they might need less. But there's about a six-week training that covers everything from procedures, safety, grooming, you name it. So if someone is ready at the end of that mm-hmm. to go on the line and begin flying to Australia, New Zealand, wherever. And they're all trained here in Ireland or do they, do they go out to the Middle East for no, training? No, everybody's trained in our training academy in Dubai. Okay, I see. Now, you mentioned Dublin Airport. Um, For a lot of people, that has been a dirty word uh, over the summer. I certainly, as someone who used it every single week, um, I I could see the ups and the downs. Um, How did you get on, especially during the crazy month of May when there were physical queues snaking out of the building, especially since a lot of your customers have paid a lot of money, they might even be business class or first class customers, they didn't probably like what they saw then. I think Dublin Airport has always had its issues in the peak. I remember being at the opening of T2 and people said it was too big and now it's probably too small. And Ryanair said it was a white elephant that would never be used. Absolutely. And now look where we are. No, I mean, we had delays, a lot of delays, but they were forced upon us to wait for our passengers. Thankfully, we never never left anyone behind. Mm -hmm. Um, But we took delays almost every day. Any cancellations? Did anyone say, listen, I can't do this Dublin Airport nonsense. I'm going to fly out of Heathrow or something? No, and and like our particular issue was our check-in opens at 10.45 and our entire flight would be at the check-in desk by about half nine, ten o'clock. Right. So our issue was trying to encourage people to not show up quite as early because they were queuing before they were queuing, if you know what I mean. Isn't the issue there for those people that turned up the, you know, extra early for, for obvious reasons because they were told to get early for long-haul flights like four yeah. hours in advance um, that they then have to hang around the airport that is great for retail sales potentially but they might have arrived on your plane half-cut after you know a feed of drinks. Well, I don't know whether they would arrive half cut after a few drinks, but certainly the issue was getting people to the airport. And I think DAA did a fantastic job in addressing the the, the serious issues that they faced in May. And I think July, August, and and we're now seeing it into September. As demand has dropped, obviously things have gotten easier. But certainly the pain that we saw in May wasn't repeated. Did you carpet DAA? when all this chaos started. I mean, we would be in regular dialogue with them. And That's lovely. That's a beautiful choice of words. But you're not livid with them. No, I mean, our operations people are meeting with them every single day. All right. And, and I think the frustration for us was that any... A sense that there was a surprise in the traffic, you know, was not true because we were actually telling the, air, the airport they knew what was coming. Right. And so that was the frustration we had. But listen, it happened. We, we went through it. Uh, and I think a lot of learnings came out of it. And hopefully going into next year, if this level of demand repeats itself, we'll every, everyone will be better placed to, to address it. Um, energy. It's a big issue. It's a big part of your outlay. Uh, it's around a fifth of your outlay and it could be a lot more. How far ahead ahead are you hedged in terms of buying fuel? Well, we don't hedge. Um, we hedged in the past, but I mean, we, we operate now on a spot rate. I mean, fuel is a major input cost for all carriers. Mm-hmm. And when fuel prices go down, airlines make profit and everyone looks good. When fuel prices uh, go up, it's a bit like the tide coming in. And see it, who's wearing swimming trunks and not. So it's really down to the resilience of your business model. Now, Emirates has been profitable when fuel's been $100 a barrel, $115 a barrel. You don't want to be in that place because it puts pressure on the business everywhere. Um, But we're monitoring it very closely every day. We've had to take decisions on fares to reflect. We're trying to absorb as much of the fuel increase as we can. Mm -hmm. But it has been reflected in fare increases. And and you have have a fuel surcharge already because it's a long haul journey. We do. We do. And and that puts pressure on demand. Now, so far it hasn't. But obviously we want fuel to come down to, you know, a a reasonable level, sub 100 certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, $100 a barrel. Sorry, $100 a barrel. But I mean, on the flip side, we're not seeing any impact on demand. 
Right. Demand is very strong and I think it's still probably at abnormally high levels. Uh, so you think there's a little bit of pent up demand rather than kind of I, I, underlying I, strength? I think we're at the end of the pent up demand period. I, I, I would be nervous going into 2023 that forecasters will assume the same yeah. level of demand. I think things will really level off as cost of living increases, as um, uh, inflation kicks in. But at the moment, your your sales book is looking busy. We're at pre-pandemic levels of demand at the moment, if not higher. So 85% seat factors, which is a great place to be. Will you come back if you're going to add a third service, third flight out of Dublin, come back on the show? Um, hopefully, um, but uh, I'll be leaving Emirates shortly. Ah, um, after eight years so uh, it may be somebody else sitting in this chair Well um, thank you for joining us today we might speak to you before you depart in full that's Enda Cornell the boss of Emirates Ireland and thank you for coming into the studio Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk.